Oh, you know what that sound means, gentlemen. Welcome back again to the Cut, Light, and Smoke podcast presented by ZealCigars.com, CigarSoapbox.com, and as always, coming to you live from sunny Phoenix, Arizona in the Huddle Up Store Studios. And I have a special guest today along with my awesome co-host, which is JB. JB, say what's up to the people. What's going on? And uh, JB's smoking a, a decent cigar right now, I think. I'm not exactly sure, but I know my co-host is definitely smoking a very, very good cigar. JB, tell the folks what you're smoking real quick. We've... We've heard about it. We smoked it before, but what are you thinking right now? Um, it's a test blend that somebody gave us to smoke. Um, it's called the Eleanor Rose. Um, pretty good. Uh, pretty good, solid, natural, pretty even keel cigar. Okay. Um, okay. The Eleanor Rose. And we're gonna see if it's any good. All right. It's it's perfecto. It's a kind of perfect, like long perfecto, essentially. Mm, kind of. It's kind, kind of, of a weird shape, yeah. Yeah, it is kind of a weird shape. But uh, let me go on to my guest that I have today and the topic that we're going to get into. My guest is, of course, Money Guy Dale. Dale, say what's up to the people. What is up? And uh, Dale is back by super popular demand by nature of the fact that we had an episode called The Skies Are Falling, What Should Men Do With Their Money? It was the most viewed and listened to episode that we have had in the history of this podcast. So it doesn't matter what I say about guys and how guys should grow up and uh, be mature men and everything like that. What they really want to know is about their money. So we're going to be talking yep. about that with you today. In particular, we're focusing on young men between the ages of 18 and 35, correct? Correct. So I asked you after that was done, actually what you did is you called me, I'm going to spill the beans a little bit, or as the kids say today, the tea, all right? I'm going to spill the tea, <laughs> and I'm going to tell, tell you a little bit. You called me and said, you thought that episode that we did together was not that good, and you were like, can you take it down? And I was like, negatory ghostwriter, because it's actually, got a lot of views. I didn't even know you posted it. I was like, hey, just don't post it, because I don't, I, like, I had some time to think about the answers, and I was like i would say this differently or i would say that differently okay so you it's, it's almost like me preaching a sermon on on sundays when i was a pastor when i was done i was always like i could have said this different i guess i'm this different i guess I'm this oh different. yeah dude i have the best conversations after they happen right right yeah. uh, that that sounds a little time traveling and weird but yeah. uh outside of that <laughs> uh, what i want to get into today is we're gonna be talking about where young men between 18 and 35 what they should be doing with their money whether the sky is falling or whether this, whether the ground is holding them up or anything else like that, yeah. where they should be doing the money. So if you're a young man out there, you got cigars, you got a good humidor and everything like that, you're feeling yourself, maybe you got your first job, maybe you just graduated high school, maybe you just graduated college, you're, you're, you know, you're in the armed services or you're in the uh, workforce, the private workforce or whatever else. We want to tell you what you should be doing with your money now. I am currently 48. JB is 32. Dale, you are 40. 41. 41. Dale is 41, actually. So uh, we've got some good gener intergenerational energy going today, and I'm really excited because money is something that I know very little about. Uh, my wife knows a whole lot about and handles all the money for our, uh, for our not for our business, but for our um our, uh, our personal finances at home, you if go. you would. Uh, and essentially, I just say, can I spend this? Can I spend that? And so on and so forth. So, uh, and what, what's in it, we did it that way just by nature of the fact that she's much better at organization than I am. So with that said, Dale, tell me about the young guys that are between 18 and 35 right now. They're, they're a little younger than the millennials, okay, because you would be considered a millennial. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm considered a geriatric millennial. You kind of are. You've I ever mean, heard that term? You are geriatric. You're saying okay. no? I've never heard of that term before. Never heard that term. No, you're, you're an older yeah, millennial. Old, old millennial. Yeah, but millennials. elder millennial. You've heard that one? Elder, elder, elder nope. millennial. Really? Okay. I just thought you guys stayed, you know, in Peter Pan world forever. I didn't know you guys actually grew up. Um, but here, here's the thing. No man. But here's no. the thing beyond because you kind of do. I mean, as a, as a man, you got to grow up, whether you like it or not. Yep. Life's going to treat you the same as any other man. Yeah, it comes you know? fast. It really does. Yeah. And and the rude awakening waiting for so many young men, we want to head that off with some good advice so that when tax man comes knocking, when opportunity comes knocking, when you're at the cross streets of opportunity and hope, you make the opportunity and you hope to make the opportunity work. So what can you tell men? And we're going to break this down. And how did you break it down when I told you this? We had this conversation probably last Friday, I think. I think so. And I said, I want to do three se three separate podcasts, one for the 18 to 35, and then for 36 to 55, and then 55 to 75. After 75, if you don't have it worked out, I don't know what to do with you. Right. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, by that time, the government's making you draw your money out of all the savings uh, yeah. accounts that Dale's going to tell you about anyway. Yeah. So right. it yeah. doesn't right. matter. So They're going to make you spend it. I'm going to yep. turn it over to Dale and ask him to structure a little bit of what we're talking about today, and then uh, I'll just be back and forth with you. So good for it. Well, I'll tell you the thing about men from 18 and 35, that that's where you have the most life change. That's when life is coming much faster. You're making for the first time, uh, adult decisions. You're able to sign adult contracts. Once you turn 18, right. right. You can get your own loans. Right. 
Um, and so you're, you're thinking about things like college. You're probably thinking about if I go to college, do I have to get loans? If I'm not going to college, am I going to a trade school? If I'm not doing that, am I starting a business? Whatever that is. But also in that 18 to 35 time period, you're starting to think about getting married. Maybe you get married. Maybe you have kids, right? Buying a house, buying a car, saving for whatever retirement means, right? All of that, all of that stuff starts in that 18 to 35. So it's a really critical time period um, for anybody. And and I'll say this too, and I I see a lot of guys doing this and I, I I really want to call this out for you young men out there that I really respect. Um, You got to stop complaining at some point and just get on, get on the horse and ride it. Oh yeah. You just do. I mean, like you can talk, you can blame, the economy and everything else on on older generations and now you're strapped because of older generations and everything like that. My generation did the same thing. Every generation before them always blamed the economy or how bad things could be on the on the on the generation before them. But I'm telling you right now, what the the advice that Dale has you has for you will not be you sitting in the basement trying to figure out what life's about. It's practical, everyday advice and go. Yeah, because uh, to your point, Bradley, if you're sitting if you're sitting around and you're looking for somebody to blame and you're you're not progressing with what you need to do, you're you're really wasting time. And then at right. that point, you, you got to just look back and, and internalize that because if nothing's happening for you, it's really it's you, mm-hmm. right? At that point, absolutely. So, well, there's got to be a point where you go, you know, the, the sum sum total of my life is my decisions, not somebody else's. That's right. That's right. 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 So I've got uh, at, at your request, I got five tips or five things that men oh, okay. in this age group should be doing from 18 to 35. And then I actually threw a bonus sixth in oh, and okay. there may be a bonus seventh or eighth, depending on what you ask me along the way. Oh, I'm going to ask some good stuff. Good. Uh, all right. So the first thing, and this is number one for a reason is when you're age 18 to 35, there are a lot of people who are shooting all over you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So they're saying you should do this. You should do that. You should put your money here. Oh, you should shooting. buy this. Shooting. I thought you said shitting. <laughs> shooting. Shooting. You should all do over this. You. Okay. 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 So the hardest thing in this age group and the most important thing that you can do is be very discerning about where you get your financial advice. So it is difficult for men in that age bracket. It was difficult for me even uh, as well to find some place where I could get financial education and know what to do next. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was in this age bracket, uh, what was happening in the world was the dot-com era started like right when I was, or started busting when I was about 18. Mm -hmm. Um, 9-11 happened when I was 19. Then fast forward a couple of years, we had all the things with the housing market and then the great financial crisis happened. And and so it's just been financial chaos ever since I've been an adult. And okay. Then we yeah. had the pandemic and now all the other things have happened since then. Okay. So knowing in the middle of all of that, where to get financial advice is important. Now, when I was coming up, we didn't have social media. Mm. And so that wasn't a factor. And so the only places that you could look to for financial advice is like, you know, grandfather, father, especially if you're a man, you're going to look at grandfather or maybe grandmother, depending, uh-huh. or your dad, or you're going to look to some other uh, male uh, father figure type role, mm-hmm. or maybe like a teacher that you trusted, mm-hmm. or you turned on the television and you hope for the best if you watch, you know, CNBC or or Fox Money or something like that, because mm-hmm. those were those were things back then. Right. Right. Um, right. And, or or I remember watching. Uh, I was you know I would stay up late at night and I would watch uh, Mad Money with Jim Cramer, and that's mm-hmm. where I kind of started to learn stuff about the stock market and how that all worked. I think it was crazy. I think it was nuts. Still is. Weird yeah, that they would nuts. put that stuff on at times when people were sleeping instead of when people were awake and would actually watch it, including kids. Yeah, I'd have to right. stay. I mean, I'd, they were the, all those stock websites, if I remember, or shows were late, late. night. Yeah, like eight, nine, mm. ten. Yeah, Why? exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? I don't know. So anyway, well, and I couldn't watch it during the day. You know, I couldn't watch the the morning stuff because I was working. But right. So number one, be discerning about where you get your financial advice. Um, I I think that financial advice on social media is becoming very dangerous. As a financial advisor, I see stuff on there that is just so it's so blatantly wrong, and I I, I question whether somebody is intentionally misleading or if they themselves just don't know, but they heard something that sounds good. So they're going to regurgitate it. And, and you have to remember that on social media, what those people are going for is attention. They need your likes, they need your follows, they need your subscriptions. And if if you're talking about, you're talking about finance bros, I'm talking about finance, finance. Now this is important to understand about social media guys. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, just for the podcast that you need to understand social media. And you've seen this already with other social media people, 
uh, whether in or out of the cigar industry, being exposed for who they really are. Like, they are not giving you good, sound advice. These are actors. These are people who are acting for you. They are not people who really know you or really even care about you. They are just simply acting. So when you find somebody who's authentic and real and willing to give you good advice and a piece of their time, this is something that's very, very valuable that Dale actually gets paid lots of money for, and he's doing this freely out of his own time for you. So this is somebody who's not an actor, who's an actual finance guy, not a finance bro, okay? And not you know? a, I'm not selling anything. Right, he's not selling you anything. Right. Exactly, you know, which is really good. But, but continue, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just want to put that I look at social media as having three different types of... of people that are looking for to help you with investing your money right there's like the guy that pops into your dms and he's like i do crypto and it's like everybody's <laughs> account that gets hacked is yeah. like i made a bunch of money with crypto investing with this person you should too right like and everybody's account gets hacked right so right. that's one of them uh the other one is like the um the guy that's just saying like dude i got so rich doing this you should do this too and i think that's probably the majority of the people that you're talking about mm -hmm. and then there's the the third category of the people which is like Yo, come to my expo. Come to my my lev my web or my web my live web seminar. Mm -hmm. Pay me one hundred and fifty dollars. I'll tell you how to make money. Yep. Cool. So does Google. If you really want to get down to that, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So totally. Yeah. And there's you know there's I'll tell you two years ago it was all the ways that you could buy crypto and and all of that. Oh and, yeah, I got that written down. Trust yeah, me. We're, we'll, we'll now get to that. now it's it's what kind of life insurance you should be buying. And a lot of times um, that that financial advice, you know, where you can be your own bank and you can, you know, put money in an IUL and and it grows tax free and you can pull money out of it and buy a car and make money on your car because of the I, all that stuff <laughs> is somebody trying to sell you a life insurance policy so they can get your commission and then have you do the same thing. Yeah, because it's a residual thing on exactly. that one. Exactly. With with all of that, again, just super important. Make sure that you're you're very careful about who you're taking advice from. And what I would do is I would look for somebody who has, uh, has a, has, or they're either on the path to where you want to go and they're, they're getting advice or they are where you want to be. Eventually, those are the people to get your advice from, in my opinion. Well, let me play devil's advocate real quick and just say, what if somebody doesn't know where they're supposed to be or where they want to be? Like, for example, when you say, or you know, care or care, I mean like that, that's, that's one of the big things I think happening with, the younger generation, you know, with the Gen Z and, you know, the younger millennials is this idea of caring. I mean, should they care about money? I mean, they're, they're, they're inundated continually with social media messages that you should be caring about so much more mm -hmm. than money. And money is just, just something that's necessary. It's a necessary evil, you know, if you would, where, you know, older generations are like, well, we've done a lot with money and we could do a lot of good with money yeah you know and so that's why it's important to have money to make money and to be in business and to make money and provide for people around you because the more money you have actually the more generous you can be yeah and and actually in in your generosity you become less of a tax on the system yep and you, you actually help the system improve because you're able to then put money back into your community and do things that matter so yes it one thousand percent matters what you do with your money and how you do more importantly how you do things with your money um, because when it, when it really shows up is when it's too late and arguably tomorrow is the second best time to get started, which leads me to point number two, the second best time to get started is tomorrow. I should say, actually the second best yesterday. time to get started is, is to, is <laughs> today <laughs> or yesterday now. or tomorrow, whatever it is, like get, get started because the best time has already happened. Okay. Can right? Can I ask you a quick question before you get into your second point? Of course. What's, I wonder, a lot of people would probably want to know, like, what's the difference between, so like when you look at, like, like somebody like me, I fit under the category where Brad was kind of talking about of like, I don't consciously think about where, where I'm going to need money in the future. Because my mindset is, and the way that I, I've grown up is, I can always trade my work, I can always use my skills, I can always make money when I need to make it. Right. So for me, it's one of those things where like money's always going to come for it can always come. Let me rephrase that. Right. So what is the difference for especially in the 18 to 35 year olds? I think they need to know the difference between what is putting money away and saving money versus building wealth versus um, like saving, like just like spending or using the money to you, like how I'm talking about, like yeah. if I need to go make 20 grand because I need to buy something for 20 grand, I could go 
do something separate outside of my job to make 20 grand if I needed to, to, to buy that extra thing. If I really wanted to do that, I could do that. Yeah, so that that's a perfect segue because the the second tip was to start saving and investing now. Okay, right? which is that's where we're going. So, the t- to answer your question, JB, the the difference is when you're starting to save and when you're learning how to invest. The reason that you want to do that versus just living in the moment and using money in the moment as it comes and knowing that you can always trade time or other resources to get money as you need it Yeah, is that having the ability to put money away and let it grow over time gives you options sooner in your life. Little freedom. A a lot. It can be a lot of freedom, but yeah, it gives, it gives you breathing room. Um, because even if you just think about having an emergency cash reserve and as far as how much you should save, it really varies person to person. Um, some financial gurus will tell you that you need to have a thousand dollars and some will say you need to have, you know, three months of your expenses. And, and my answer to that mm. really varies based on your income, your expenses and how secure you are in your ability to continue earning income. Yeah. Right. For some people, three to six months is a great target for some people where their where their earnings are high commission. Yeah. You might want to have like nine months set aside. Yeah. Cause what if you have two bad months of commission? Exactly. See, that's a, that's a good point. Exactly. I didn't even think about a case by case basis yeah. that deeply, right. which, is, which is why people like you exist, right? Because yeah. that's your job to do that. Yeah. Because fi- financial advice is not well executed as a blanket, which means that any piece of financial advice does not equally apply to everybody across the, the whole spectrum. So it, it has to be specific to your situation. And the more that you can, the more that you can start putting some money aside, right? Think about how many emergencies or, or things that might come up that's going to cost almost a thousand dollars, even yeah. more than a thousand. I mean, heck right? your deductible for your insurance is 90% of the time, a thousand dollars at least. Absolutely. I mean, even just think yeah. about driving down the road and you get a flat tire, right? If, if you lose that tire, if you shred it trying to get off the road, you can't replace just that tire. You've got to replace at least two. And then if you're replacing two, when's the last time you replaced the other two? Yeah. Right? That There's $1,000 in tires. I mean, right, just right, right there out the door. So it's little tiny things like that where if you have those situations come up and you don't have any resources that are set aside for an emergency type event, you're really going to be between a rock and a hard place in some of the worst ways. And, and usually it's always at the worst time. Well, what about the guy who says, I have a credit card for that? I don't need to worry about saving because my credit card has, you know, $10,000 on it. So why do I need to save that money when I have a, you know, an emergency credit card I can use? Yeah, great, ex- great question. And so anytime that we're looking at credit cards, it is going to- Or a line of credit, same kind of thing. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah. Yep. Um, whether or how you use that really should be based on your capacity to repay it. Mm. and how much you think you're going to need to charge for something. Because it's nice to have that credit limit set aside, but if you get caught in a debt cycle, it's incredibly difficult to get out of because it just compounds on itself. Money compounds both ways. It either compounds to the debt side or it compounds to the building wealth side, to your question. The equity side, yeah. You always want the money working for you, not compounding against you. Right. And that's right. a debt cycle. It compounds against you. Right, right. What do you say to the guys that are like, well, I just let, I let the debt cycle compound against me so much that I just gonna I'm just gonna declare bankruptcy and then I'll just get away with it that way. I mean, let let the government because the government's full of a bunch of fat cats that are, that are setting these banks up against me anyway. So why not just let them go bankrupt and why not just go bankrupt and I got a clean slate after you know a chapter seven or chapter eleven, whatever. Well, you you can certainly go that route if that's your only if that's your only option. Get some get debt or get bankruptcy counseling to make sure that it is your only option because we really as a nation we we want to discourage bankruptcy because that that is for some people the, the actually i i still think statistically the number one thing that puts people into bankruptcy is medical bills. medical bills we're the only country in the world that people go bankrupt because of medical bills absolutely so think about if you have medical bills and now you have credit cards and now you have a car loan and now you have and now you have and now you have right that that really can be quite a problem for some people bankruptcy is the only option mm-hmm. but if you just go well i ran out my credit cards and my my only thing is to file bankruptcy that's a diff the, the, we're, we're talking about different behaviors and different different cause and effect right mm-hmm. but if your posture is that i've ran up debt and now i'm just gonna clean the slate with bankruptcy and start over you need to understand that those the the bankruptcy and the judgments and those things stay on your record 
some of it for seven years, some of it for 10 years, and it can significantly impact your ability to get certain jobs. Mm-hmm. It can impact your ability to get loans for like houses. And oh, they can like see that. that on a job. Oh yeah. They well, yeah, because your, yeah, some, some, some professional jobs you actually have to, it's there with your criminal history. You know, do huh. you have any misdemeanors? Have you filed bankruptcy? You know, do you have any judgments? Oh yeah, they do ask things? that on Absolutely. some of the on the uh, when you're filling that stuff out sometimes for jobs. That's right, they do ask that. Absolutely, they ask your social security number. It's, it's I easy. wonder. It's easy to take your social security number. Why would bankruptcy matter to a employer? Because for some employers, it's a it's a litmus test of your ability to um, to run a to, to run and act in their business in a responsible way, mm-hmm. in in the interest of the business versus somebody yeah. that. You know, if, if you have a, let's just say this, you can type in social security number of anybody and you can find out their credit history anywhere. You know, there's, there's a million different websites to do that. So as an employer, if I wanted to just check someone's background and their history and check out even your credit, I can do that because if I'm trusting you with money in my, my business, I want to make sure that I understand how you do with your own money. Yeah. How you do with your own money. If you're foolish with your own money, do you think I'm going to trust you with mine? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, there, there are just certain things that you never want to have to check the box yes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's if you can avoid it, that's one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So where should we where should we be investing this money then, Dale? Your your number two point. So that is a really, really good question because if so I would say from eighteen to thirty five, if your employer offers a employer sponsored retirement plan, start there. Any, and you're talking that's 401k, 401k, that's pension, that's... Well, you're, you're probably not going to have a pension unless you're like some sort of government employee or sure. something like that. Teacher, firefighter, police yep. officer. But in anything that your employer can offer you as a retirement savings, some employers offer a simple IRA, some offer a SEP IRA, something like that. If it's not a 401k, if, you're, if you are a government employee or a nonprofit, you're probably going to have a 403b. But whatever they give you, that's whatever's what available, start saving there. And then as far as what you invest in, inside of that plan, it's going to have investment options. And the easy button is just to go, well, I think I'm going to retire in 2055. So I'm going to buy the target date 2055 fund. Now, what that's going to do is it's going to be balanced between stocks and bonds. It's going to be more aggressive as you're younger. And then as you get older, it'll, it'll start to rebalance more conservatively. And so that can be a helpful starting point, especially if you don't know what, what to pick that's a good thing to pick because there's a professional manager who's who's looking at that allocation. So pre-built so, the template portfolio essentially as a starting point. But then what I what I would recommend is that you take the list of all the other stuff that's available and start doing some research or find somebody who will help you understand what's in there and then start learning how to allocate that on your own or with the help mm. of a professional. So when you're young, you might think be thinking to yourself, I'm not going to use this for like 20 to 30 years. Let me tell you how this blew back in my face, and I did use my my uh, retirement to uh, purchase a house. Actually, recently, so I, I'd been saving money in five, four through CB and everything else like that uh, for a very long time, and I had several because I went to several, I worked at several different churches. I think I worked at five different churches, five different organizations. You know, over my time period being a pastor, uh, each one of those rolled over to different four or three B. So I had probably about four different ones, if you would. One rolled over, and the others just stayed where it was, and they were including in that. So I had some money saved up, and when the housing market hit uh, the way that it did in 2020, and everyone was buying houses here in Phoenix, uh, it came down to a point where I had to actually I had to buy a house, and the only way that I could actually afford the house is to cash out you know, some of the 403Bs and put that down as a really, really nice down payment on the house. So make it, it made our, you know, everything so much more affordable, uh, if you would. And I had been saving that since I was 18 years old, you know, or I should say 20. So I was 20 years old and I bought that. I'm 48 now. So that was two years ago. So I was close to about 45, 46, you know, when we purchased the house and whether that's, that's good or bad, you know, sometimes that's necessary, you know, by nature of the fact it worked out good for us by nature of the fact that the house that we purchased went up immediately in the market because it was skyrocketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other way that it helped out with us and why you should be saving your money is when it did happen, I was able to purchase a house. And when I did, there were no other houses available after that in that price range. So when well, we, you, you bought like literally like three months before the market blew up too. Yeah, so you're, you you're already built extreme equity in less yeah, than a year. It was really crazy. So 
<clears throat> what saving does and what Dale's talking about is it enables you to take the opportunities in front of you when you have it, you know, and regardless of that. And it's funny because it's not, it's something that we discussed privately about that. Like, should I do this or should I not do this? And we went back and forth on it, you know, continually because the market goes like this. And so does housing market go up like this. Yep. And one usually goes better than the other. Uh, I'll let Dale talk about that. Cause I, I, I don't know which one goes better than the other. Uh, but I think that when you do save, you have the opportunity to take care of your family. You know, I have three kids and a wife to take care of your family in a way that, that is very, very, very cost effective so that we were to buy a house that we could never afford um, in, in that regard, you know, so. Well, and it's funny too, like listening, cause like you think you listen to like how my grandparents save the money, right? Or how, um, or you guys, you know, we're talking about 401ks and things like that, right? There were two things that just popped up in my head. Number one is, is like a lot of people 18 to 35, I think right now, um, I think some of them were starting to play in stocks. I think that's something like a lot of people my age um, don't really get into unless somebody in your immediate circle already um, is a stock investor and, and sits down with you and talks about how to invest in stocks or you or maybe you take a, a, a course in college and then you learn about the stock market and things like that. Yep. But, um, you know, uh Crypto is probably one of the biggest, when I worked at Apple, almost every single person in that building had some sort of investment in crypto, right? Or, or AMC or that GameStop, right? But for me, like I've really only made, and, and, and I've never put more than a thousand dollars into one stock. So it's all been very low dollar amount purchases, but I have gotten very lucky on really, um, not necessarily penny stocks, but I bought into a couple um, mining companies. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to tell you what kind of mining companies, but I <laughs> bought into some really specific mining companies um, before a specific mineral went. It's still kind of holding, so it's it's going to blow up eventually because it has to. But um, And I made quite a bit of money off of that, and, and I made my father-in-law some money off of it, enough that he was like, hey, here's a finder's fee. You know what I mean? But like... I feel like stock investing for people my age is, is a really hard thing to get into because number one, um, you got to have a little bit of money to throw at those to even get started. Yep. And then crypto, I don't even play with that, dude. Number one, it's high risk. The market never closes and a lot of them are pump and dumps. So when you're talking to people that are 18 to 35 and we're talking about 401ks or we're talking about stock market investing, like... That stuff's not easy, man. No, and, and it, what complicates it is that, you know, you're going to look at, speaking of having some money to put into it, is you're going to say, okay, I've got $500 or I've got $1,000. And so. Yeah, what do you, yeah if, if $1,000, let, let's say I got my tax return back this year. Yeah. And, and I've decided to do the deal. I decided I'm going to start yesterday. I'm going to take this $1,000 I got back and I'm going to do something respectful with it. Yeah. I'm going to invest it. I'm going to put it into something. What's the best way for somebody to get started with that? So what I what I have seen, what I saw a lot, so to your point about people who over the past couple of years, they started their own, you know, they, they had a Robinhood account or they yeah. had something like that, right? Tons of people. I saw a lot of $500,000 accounts where you you open it up and you take a look at it and they've got, you know, $500 and they've, they've, they've got 10 investments in there and they've got one share of this and two yeah. shares of that or a couple of like Amazon that. after the split couple here. Yeah. And, and that, that kind of thing, small, the, the problem is that small dollars grow small dollars. And so you don't really get very far by having one share of Amazon yeah. and two shares of Boeing and, or whatever else. And I'm naming investments and those are not, this is not, you know, those are not investments. Just examples. Yeah. Just, just as an example. What is far more effective, what I, what I like to do, especially when you're starting with a smaller amount, is, is find something that has some level of, um, it, it matches your risk tolerance. And okay. so like a good example would be if you have $1,000. But you don't really have $1,000 to just lose. You don't have $1,000 to lose then I would say look at something. I mean, it, the easy button is is look at one of the market indexes. So the S&P 500 index or the Russell 2000 or something like that. Because while you're going to have volatility because it's stock market, 
what's going to happen is that over time, as that continues to grow, so when your $1,000 turns into, and you keep putting money there, right? So I, I said a minute ago, put money into your company-sponsored 401k. Not everybody has those, right? So in if you don't have a company-sponsored plan, you can start your own traditional IRA, or you can start a Roth IRA, and there's a lot of benefits to understanding both of those, and it's 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 too much to go into in this podcast episode. We just don't have enough time. But if you have questions, I can take those. But you're going to want to start something there, but it also is helpful if you have something that's tax deferred, which would be one of those IRAs. It's also helpful to have something that's taxable so that we have money going in both places because there are limits to how much you can put in IRAs, right. right? So if you have more money than what, what you can put into the IRA, then you want to put it into a side investment. But what you want to make sure of is that when your $1,000 becomes 2,500 and the 2,500 becomes three and then that starts to grow, then you can start to add other investments over time as that money continues to get bigger. Because spreading $1,000 across 10 or 11 or 25 things is not how you grow wealth. It's just not going to work. Yeah. It's just not. That's a good point because I think that's a lot of misunderstanding, right? Because uh, that's one of the things social media does to this generation, right? They see the one guy that invested in crypto and made it lucky. Like like I said, I invested in one one yeah. specific mine and made a ton of money off of it. But like, what are the chances that I find another investment that is under a dollar that I can buy extremely large amounts of for a low dollar amount? And then it jumps to above five dollars. It's, it's not. It's very rare. Yeah, and and when you're investing at that level, I mean that that is that is among the riskiest ways to invest because some of those are boom and some of those are bust. More, yeah. way more of them are bust. Well, and a lot of them are boom then bust. And if you don't sell at the right point, you're screwed. And how do you know when to sell? What's what's a dip <laughs> versus a decline? And and so it, it's very very tricky to do that. And the other thing is, if you look at like some of the meme stocks, yeah, you, you talked about AMC and and yeah, some of the GameStop, other, GameStop. Bed, Pump and bath, dump. Bed Bath & Beyond filed oh, bankruptcy right. yesterday Yeah, over that's the weekend. Right. And Bed Bath & Beyond was one of the meme stocks. Mm -hmm. They were. Yeah. Interesting. So the, in, in a way, a Reddit thread kind of screwed Bed Bath & Beyond, kind of, maybe, potentially. I think they were kind of going down anyway, but. That's another topic. For <laughs> that's the other thing, too, is a lot of guys go to Reddit. Yeah, they do. And they, and they, they look at their, see, this is one of the, this yeah. is one of the problems. That's actually with, where I found my stock tip right. on, on which mine to invest in was on Reddit. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. But the problem is when most people don't do that and they don't do their homework behind it. I did it, a lot of homework. They just went, they go ahead and, they go ahead and buy it. And then all of a sudden they're like, it dips tremendously because they bought it at the cap. They bought it at the very top, yeah. and all of a sudden it starts going down on them. They're like, "Man, I got a penny stock." Well, here's you know for a dollar, most people paid, you know, a, a quarter of a percent of a penny for it. You know, yeah. Here's the other thing about social media and Reddit and all that is most of the time you're only going to hear about people's winners. Yep. yep. They're never going to tell you about the where they were wrong. And, where they lost which, 500 grand. They're yeah. never going to tell you where they were wrong. And and I'm sorry, but day trading is is incredibly difficult because most of the time you're going to be wrong. You just yeah. are. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's uh, it's hard. It's very very hard to do. So what point are we on? We're, on We're going to number three because it's all related. Which is right? no, number three is get your financial house in order, preferably before you start having a family. But if you've already started to have a family, do it. Yeah. Right. And so when I say get your house in order, that means understanding where where is your money coming from, and where is it going to, and what amount of. Uh, velocity that happens, right? So mm -hmm. does money come in faster than it goes out or does it go out faster than it comes in? You've got to be able to get that in order, right? We talked about the credit cards. You've got to get your debt squared away. You've got to be able to start saving. You got to figure out most importantly, what is it that you're working toward? Because where I think a lot of men, especially beyond age 35. So typically when you get into your late forties, where a lot of men get sideways and have these midlife crises is because when they're in their twenties, in 30s, they don't set their sights on exactly where it is that they're trying to head. They they get to work, they start making money, they get disillusioned with something, they get um, they they don't communicate about money with their spouse, so they end up money becomes a sore subject in the house, and then they they just torpedo their whole lives. Mm -hmm. And it's because they don't have a clear picture, united with your spouse, of where it is that you're trying to go. Oh yeah, you don't have a purpose. You're just living. Yeah, there's a there's a sense of where. Um I think young men today are are very scared and unknowledgeable. Yeah, you know about money in particular, and so they're kind of like, "Well, I don't. I'll marry somebody that'll take care of that." 
you know, my, my spouse, I'll find someone that Bradley did. And so on. What I did not tell you is the first three years of my marriage, I handled the finances and got us in a tr- tremendous amount of debt because I was not a good organizer of our, our money whatsoever. And so once, once that was it, there was a communication with the spouse, like you said, when I was probably 26, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe 24, 26, somewhere in there, uh, or my wife's like, I, I told my wife, why, why don't you take this over? This is really your thing. I think you can do it way better than I can. And it worked out very, very well. Although I was, I was earning all the money, you know, there was a sense of where like I didn't know how to organize it. I didn't know how to do everything like that. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how to track it, you know, in particular. And there's tons of oper- there's tons of, of applications and everything like that that can help you track your money. Yep. Uh, with your bank and everything like that, show you where things are going continually. Uh, and even your bank offers that often, you yeah. know, to you. So yeah. for you knowing about your money. And where your money goes will definitely help you because there is a wrench I want to throw into this whole thing. And, and I just want to, I want to ask you about it. So a lot of young men today are waiting in particular to get married. Okay. Cause we keep talking about spouse and family and things like that are waiting to get married. Uh, and so I'm not going to go into the, the whys behind that, but they just are. I mean, the, the average age is like 28 to 30 now. Yeah. It's much older. Yeah. For, for a guy to get married. Um, so now that you're, they're getting married, before they get married, would you say they have a better better opportunity to earn money before that opportunity than after? Or I mean, what's your what's your thought on that? Oh, I mean, man. is it the best time or? I'll uh, so maybe maybe on the earning side where they have the the best opportunity is on the saving side because there aren't as many things competing for the money. So there isn't. Um, I mean, when you add more people to your household it's going to cost more to feed them. It's going to cost more to keep the electricity and the water and the internet and all those things running. Right. And then diapers and formulas and things like that. Um, if, if you're a single guy between ages 18 and 35, you have a higher chance to be able to put money aside. Mm-hmm. Bro, let me explain something here. When I worked at Apple, there are a lot of people that still worked from worked at home, lived at home. Yep. And they're rolling in. I'm like, how are they affording these cars, right? They're rolling in like Beamers and really nice rides. And, you know, they're going on vac- lavish vacations all the time. And I'm like, how in the heck? Like, what are they doing? I'm I'm going home to my wife going like, hey, are we able to take a vacation? And she's like, well, maybe if I let you use this money. Mm-hmm. And and then I look at it and I'm like, okay, they still live at home. Mm-hmm. I. I never had that opportunity, right? Like, and my wife's parents- I've got that written down. My wife's parents <laughs> did something for her that that could have been easy for every parent to do for their kid that set her up incredibly well. And that was just, they added her to their AAA credit card when she was like 15 years old and for four years built her credit up on their card that they paid off every month. Now, they were very responsible with it. It was, a, you know, they paid it off every month. So when my wife graduated high school, her credit score was like 750. Yeah. So like my wife from the beginning, from the second that she got to college to the second that we got married, had 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 none of that stuff to worry about. Yeah, and there's a lot of ways parents can do it. You can do it with with small credit cards like that. Um the way that that we did it with our oldest is we uh when it was time for him to uh get a car now he was we did this when he was 19. And um, he, he had a car. He was in college. Uh, there was a period of time where he didn't have a car because he couldn't have it on campus. So we multi-purposed it to the next kids. And um, and then he was like, I want to buy a car. And I said, fine, here's what we'll do. Like, we needed to co-sign anyway. Right, right, And right. so we just said, fine. Like, technically, it's our car. Like, we're buying a car, but we're co-signing with you. And we knew we, we put all the right things in place to make sure that the payments could be made and all that. And just by having that payment be made periodically, that, yeah, just set him up really well as far as credit is concerned because there was no chance of default on that credit, on that car loan because I wasn't going to let it default. Yeah. And he was working, so he was contributing to that. And that helped him out but, significantly. But to your point, like if kids is something that you're looking at doing, you need to get with your partner or even start ahead of time. Like, for example, I'm, I'm a perfect example of somebody that didn't do this. I've known I've wanted to be a dad since I was a kid, right? But I've never done anything in my life to this point, including the last six years being married to my wife. I've never done anything at this point to potentially build that section up 
in mm. preparation. I've done none of that. Now, my wife probably has because she's a little bit more smarter with that stuff than I am and a little bit more forward thinking, but I haven't done any of that. And now that I'm thinking about it, like I'm 32 years old, I've been with my wife 12 years, we've been married six years. What if I had? Yeah. And that's, that's the, that's the hardest thing is to, is to look back and see the missed opportunities because believe me, I have, I have my own. Yeah. Right. And so you, you can look back on those and you can say, well, shoot, or you can go, okay, start now, start now. just start now. Yeah. Start yesterday. And it doesn't take much. To, so even something like setting aside, you know, money for, for how you're going to do education for your kids and those or kinds of baby things. formula shortages now like what the heck, yeah like like all of like education savings is a is a big giant question mark because nobody knows how that's even going to look in 10 years right and, and, right and you never know more importantly you never know what your child's going to do you never know if they're going to go to college if they're going to get uh scholarships you never know if they're going to go to trade school if they're going to start a business but even if they don't that money could be used to, for them to buy a home for 100%. assets. It can be used to, for all, them to all sorts of things. You anything. can help help them help them launch a business. You can uh, all sorts of things, right? So it doesn't take much to get started. You just have to get started, mm. mm-hmm. and it's real simple: ten bucks a week, twenty-five bucks a week, eighty bucks a month. Pick your number, whatever works for your cash flow, and just start. Yeah, my I think my father-in-law. They had two kids: my wife and my my, my brother-in-law. They put fifty dollars for each kid every paycheck into savings accounts. Both of them had $100,000 when they were 18 and could go to school for pretty much free. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it was just 50 bucks a paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. And the sooner you start, the the more likely yep. you are to- From the day they were yep. born. Yep. Actually, I think he started when he found out that they were going to have kids. Yep. Just 50 bucks a paycheck. Yep. Number four. Number four. When you start your family, right? So when you're, when you're young and you're on your own, this is, this is important, but- there's less at stake, but when you start a family, you've got to make sure you have the right risk coverage. And that's, so that's on life insurance and everything. So life insurance, home and auto insurance or mm-hmm. renter's insurance. If you're renting, please get renter's insurance. Oh yeah. Um, you're going to, you know, if you have, once you start building assets and you own things, you're probably going to want to have some sort of umbrella liability policy because mm-hmm. that's going to protect you. If somebody trips in your driveway and sues you, mm-hmm. or if you get into a car accident and somebody sues you, that kind of thing. Um, you're going to want to make sure that you have the right coverages for your situation. The places where people tend to skip are on things like uh, they they get lower than they should limit uh, car insurance. They skip out on renter's insurance because whatever, not a big deal. I'll just replace, you know, if there's a fire or whatever. But those adverse situations or when you need insurance are so devastating if you don't have good coverage and you don't understand your coverage because there's a lot of things that you can get excluded for that you need to know up front. So you've got to be able to find an insurance provider who will educate you on what you need. And you can always tell when somebody's just trying to make a quick sale and be gone. You got to stay away from those people. If you can, you have to, and you've got to be able to, you've got to be able to trust your gut because every one of us, we, we know when something's not right or we know when something just seems a little fishy, you got to trust that, especially when it comes to how your money's being managed. Yeah, I, I think I, when I was 27 years old is when I got my first life insurance policy because Savannah <clears throat> was born. Yeah. And uh, it's it's since grown, obviously, because I have more kids and everything else like that. But it's not outlandish. I don't have like a $7 million policy or anything like that. So I think we have a million dollar or $2 million policy. Yeah. Um, but... That there's a lot of different factors that figure into that. I think it's important that you would remember that you guys would take charge of your family because no one, and particularly guys, and I'll, I'll just say this without trying to sound incredibly patriarchal, or chauvinistic, or colonialistic, whatever you want to call it anymore, that our culture deems as evil. Uh, it's your responsibility, man. It yep. just is. It's your yep. responsibility. So make sure that when you're there, and that's 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 one of the things. If you want to find something really sexy uh, to make yourself available in the dating market. Get your money together. Yeah. Get your money together. That is a very, very, having a, my, my wife said this in particular when, when I got married. I got married when I was 21. So my wife said, I married you because one, you made me laugh, you love the Lord, and you had a plan for your life. And I could see you absolutely fulfilling that plan. And so, and the plan included money and what I was going to be paid for the, the jobs that I did in ministry in particular. Um, and so, and I, and I went from, from literally, more money to more money to more money to more money every every move that I made. I never mm-hmm. made a lateral move. It was always more money. Um, and it was really interesting because 
that put us in a very, very good position later on that when I went out of ministry, you know, I knew what my worth was when I went into business in particular and what I could offer and so on and so forth. And I made more money in business than I ever did ministry. Sure. Um, Naturally. Yeah, yeah, you do. And so as a result, um, it's a very, very good thing for your wife to have uh, security in you and, and women want that more than they want anything else's security. Yeah. We know that. We know that. So if you guys are listening to me right listening to us right now at the podcast, you're thinking, what what am I gonna offer somebody and what's gonna put you in front of the next guy for the girl that you really want? I promise you security and having your money already figured out, you don't have to have six figures. You just need to have your money figured out and know that you can pay everything and you can offer this and so on and so forth. So when you're offering to literally it's, I mean, if I'm going to get really biblical with it, but you're taking a wife and you're, you're taking her responsibility, taking, taking responsibility for her away from the father. Then you're telling the father, I can, I can totally support her, mm-hmm. you know, not, not that we're going to support her. We're going to support together. I can support her. I can support her. And I remember my father-in-law actually telling me, um, that when, when I make this commitment, I am fully responsible and do I recognize that? And I'm like, absolutely, I recognize that. And I will continue to recognize that. And I have for 28 years now. Yeah, and what that, what that looks like continues to evolve over time. Right, right, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. I think that's, a, that's an important thing because I think a lot of guys will get sidetracked into thinking like, I, you know, I, I can't do this or I need someone to help me do this and the, and the wives can do that. You need to figure out you before you ever take the wife out. Really, before you, before you ever think about wifing somebody, you need to make sure your money and everything else like that is set and understandable before you do that, before you enter, before you invite somebody else into your chaos, figure out your chaos. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, sometimes it happens because you know when when Melissa and I got married, we we both we had already been married, mm-hmm. yeah. so we we had we both had some chaos, and yeah, so yeah. we brought our chaos together, and we we had a plan for how to attack that chaos, and we did, mm. and so we were united about money before we were united about everything else because i i had mm. figured that if we if we don't agree on money and this was before i was an advisor so it's like yeah, yeah, yeah if yeah, we yeah. don't agree on money everything else is going to fall apart because that's the number one reason people still get divorced it, it's a money tale it's a money implication and so what hold on dale you can live on love <laughs> okay you can live on love we yeah, all know, know that for like can for, live on love for come like on. a day or two yeah the john, same bon, john bon jovi come on the same bon right jovi. the same as you know when i get married i don't have to date my spouse anymore right <laughs> it's that's the same lunacy right yeah, if you don't want if you want to have a horrible sex life go ahead and work that guy's out yeah yeah yeah, yeah. don't ever date your wife if you want to have a horrible sex life. exactly yeah yeah um all right so risk coverage is, is very important um and what that means again I'll give you some resources at the end as far as like how you can get some of these questions answered. So Dude, he's dropping gold on you guys. Just so you know, he's dropping gold as guys who are older and have done this already and have listened. This is exactly what you want to do to set yourself up for success. Oh, this is what I wish somebody would have told me when I was 21, right? Right. Okay. Right. Uh, number five, when you do start a family and the kids come and you're in a house and you own a car, you own a house, you've got bank accounts and all these things. You need to make sure that you have some sort of an estate plan set up and everybody who owns anything needs an estate plan. And that can be as simple as just making sure that you have the correct beneficiaries on your retirement accounts. Mm-hmm. You also should have beneficiaries, believe it or not, on your bank accounts. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. That, be- that can be very important. But but also, what happens to your stuff if something happens to you, right? The last thing that you want to do is leave the spouse that you love and care about a mess to clean up. Mm-hmm. And so, or your kids, you, you don't want to leave your kids a mess to clean up. And so you want to make sure that you have at the basic, you, you need to have a will. Mm-hmm. Now there, this is going to vary state by state, but once you have a house and you have a net worth, which means take everything that you own and subtract everything that you owe, that number is your net worth. Mm-hmm. Once that net worth crosses, say $100,000, it probably makes sense to start looking at a trust with a will that just pours over to the trust. Mm-hmm. Because what you don't want is everything controlled by your will because that's subject to probate. Right. And probate is expensive. And probate also means that your crazy Uncle Joe can come in and try to claim things because of a conversation you had three weeks ago that you said that he could have this much and, and all the things, and that may not be your intention. Let me ask you a question. So, so somebody who is married, let's say somebody's married, young, thirty-two years old. Yep. Uh, the husband dies. Yeah. The wife automatically gets everything. Yes, but if it's not documented, it is contestable. Really? So you're saying like a so so I was thirty-two years old. 
wife had three kids and so on and so forth, and I was working as a pastor. If I died, it would not automatically go to my wife. It's contestable by anybody. If you have joint ownership, automatically it defaults to her. Okay. But if you have accounts that are not jointly owned, say mm-hmm. if you just own them, yeah, then those accounts, if especially if she's not your beneficiary. Does that go with cars and everything else like that? So, for example, if the cars are in my name and not in her name, you know, all of a sudden that's contestable. It, it can be contestable, or it can it can it can go to probate. Oh wow! Because okay. it also depends on on who is the owner of the loan on those things. Because right. your lenders can force those assets to be sold or the loan to be paid in full. So mm-hmm. it gets really complicated. You need to have an attorney mm-hmm. who can look at your situation and help you make sure that the what happens if something happens to me is written down and taking care of the best for your situation. The point is, however you structure it, there's a lot of ways to do it. The point is get it done. Okay. Just don't don't skimp on it. Don't depend on some online service to just, you know, quickly do a, a will or something like that because those may not hold up well in court. Okay. So you just you've got to make sure that you think about what happens to the people I care about the most if something happens to me and just get it documented. Right. right get it right. done. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't think about that in the sense of like you know if, if something happened we have that now but I don't think we've had that back then and so for that's about now. Um, we have it all figured out back then. We definitely wouldn't have, Yep. you know, we always thought that it would just be an, a natural thing that we, our family would get whatever else. If, if my wife and I died in a plane crash and like that, my family would be taken care of for my kids and everything like that. Yeah. Not that it would be contested. Yeah. Well, it, again, it, it just depends on what the assets are, how they're owned, how they're held, wh- where they live, all that fun stuff. So mm-hmm. it, it can get complicated or it can be very, very simple. The point is have somebody look at it who knows what they're doing. Sure. Sure, sure. So then the bonus, uh, and this is to yeah. JB's point about, hey, I saw these people driving these cars and taking these vacations and whatever. Mm-hmm. So this is a bonus, and I think that this is important for the mindset of young men in particular, mm-hmm. is you've got, you, you need to be okay with the fact that you're growing towards something and not get trapped in the comparison game. Mm. because not everybody starts from the same place and not everybody ends at the same place. It's not, it's not, it's not a race. And anytime that you're stuck in comparison, you are literally holding yourself back from your next financial move because you're trying to figure out how to make a move based on what somebody else is doing. So do that. So the, the biggest comparison game um, that we see in today's world is automatically social media. Yeah. Automatically social media. It's with, the highlight with, reel. Yeah, it's the highlight reel of people's lives. Like, we did this, we did this, look how cool we are and everything else like that. Um, we're amazing. We're, you know, it's, it's, it's a facade in a lot of ways. It doesn't, it, you put your best, <laughs> I always talk about social, social media is almost like dating everybody. Yeah. You know, like, hey, <laughs> this, this, is my, this is my resume. This is how good I am. This is what I do and everything else like that. And for someone who does a lot of social media, I understand that very, very well. But never, ever, have I gotten any good advice that I haven't checked with somebody else first and said, hey, I saw this on a finance bro show. What do you think about this, Dale? Yeah. I found this over here. What do you think about this? You know? Well, well I mean, it's it, it, Melissa and I were talking about this over the weekend because there, you know, I, I saw, you know, a couple of people on social media that I follow that have done this and they just went on this trip and they just got this thing and they just, you know, acquired this thing. And I'm just like, ah. like I, we're working towards something very specific. And if I don't stay on that path and I get distracted by what somebody else is accomplishing and I'm trying to equal that, oh. right, that, that is going to be far more detrimental to our 10-year-from-now situation just because I wanted to get sidetracked and, and equal to somebody else over here because I got stuck comparing. Mm. So let me ask you a question. That's big. What are yeah. the major things that young men get stuck in comparison with with other people? Cars. Can, car, there's cars. Vacation. Vacation. Uh, Watch. What, you know, jewelry. Yeah. The, it's yes. It's the, it, the facade. It's it's the, clothes. It's the look of money. The Shoes. look of money is the where designer drip. Yep. yep. Yeah, yeah, all that the, stuff. The look of money mm-hmm. is where you get stuck because if you need to outwardly show wealth to feel secure about yourself, that is a massive money insecurity. Yeah, like what? if Warren Buffett walked in in a suit and tie, you would not know that that dude's suit would would potentially be custom tailored. Like he's not gonna walk in with like a five hundred thousand dollar chain or like a you know 
a Rolex on. No, the dude drives drives a, a Toyota Camry. Camry. Go, yeah, he, he drives a Camry and goes to McDonald's for breakfast, and he decides what he's going to order based on how the stock market's doing. I mean, and and like the difference between what he would order is fifty cents. So, <laughs> this is this literally is the the one thing I would say, and I wonder what you think about this as far as an asset you can compare with is appreciating assets. Mm. So if you get a house, if you get a house when you're young, I think my first house was twenty six or seven. Somewhere in there, when you get a house when you're young, that's a that's a, acquiring an asset that appreciates. Yeah, you know, so that's never it's not it's not going to depreciate, and if it does, it's going to be very little. Um, so if you do want to spend your money somewhere and you do want to invest somewhere, would you recommend young men buying a home? You know, at that point, would you recommend them doing that, or is it a matter of, you know, you don't want to do that to keep up with the Joneses, um, or would you rather just don't do it at all until you have a spouse. I mean, what's your thoughts on that? I would say in, in mm. the current environment, it's it's a massive maybe because interest rates are higher and property values are higher. So oh, yeah. it may not make sense for you to buy a house right now. It may make sense for you to rent and save. Right, right, right. So again, all financial advice is situational to the person, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you've it, when you're thinking about how to do this, you have to, you have to first, you have to have a process in place. Mm-hmm. And then you have to trust the heck out of your process because it's your process. And if you go back to uh, my podcast, the Financial Purpose Podcast, episode 18, Mm -hmm. I talk about five ways to set up your own financial decision-making process. There's five very specific steps Mm. to doing that. When you have a process in place and you trust it and you follow it, any financial decision that comes up, you test it against that process. Mm. And if it doesn't align, it doesn't get done. Mm. And that becomes very, very important because especially when you're starting or when you're building, you have to keep your purpose in front of you because, if, again, if you get sidetracked because of what somebody else is doing, you're comparing your process to somebody else's and you're doing that without knowing anything about what's happening really for them. Mm. Because wow. somebody might look like money and they may be in a far worse financial position than you are, but they look like they're more successful. Right. And you never know whose vacation is financed on debt. Mm. Or like Chad Johnson. Yeah. Wearing fake jewelry his whole career just to make everybody feel inferior because he was wearing fat chains. What about what yeah. uh, Kanye said to Dave uh, Chappelle? Where he said, uh, Dave Chappelle said that he had, a, he had a chain on and so on and so forth. And Kanye. Oh, that's Kanye, right. He was talking about it in his special. Yeah. And he, sa- he said, uh, <laughs> Kanye told him, he says, I don't wear, I mean, only, only millionaires wear chains on the outside. My chains are tucked in. Billionaires wear them tucked in, mm. you know. So it was really interesting. <laughs> Dave Chappelle, said, I started tucking in my chains. I like, you know. So I mean, it, it it's really interesting when you think about that. And I, I think so. So let me ask some questions from the audience perspective. I think, yeah, that I think would be interesting. So uh, I just want, I'm gonna I'm a fast question you right now. Um, and you just, first thing that comes out of your out of your mouth is gonna be. What you think? Well, it's gonna be recorded. So I know it'll be recorded. So it's it's gonna be forever and. Eternal podcast land. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, I'm twenty. I'm twenty seven years old. Uh, I make about seventy five thousand dollars. My first job. That's pretty I'm, good for twenty five or twenty seven. Yeah. I'm doing well and everything else. I want to buy my first house before I get married or anything else like that to provide that for my family. Good. Good idea. Bad idea. Right now. Do the math. Okay. So figure out how much how much house you can you can buy. So depending okay. on where you live in the country, mm-hmm. figure out like what you can what would be. <laughs> you you can try to buy something that's going to need some TLC if you're handy, mm-hmm. right? Don't don't buy something and, and try to go. Well, I'm just going to flip this and make, because that just if right. you don't know what you're doing, you're you're really going to get upside down on that. So right. if you're you're just thinking I'm going to buy this house, I've got a ten year plan. I'm going to live here for the next five to ten years, mm-hmm. which is about average for how long people own a house somewhere right. in that neighborhood of about seven or eight years. Yep. So have that again part of your process. Have mm-hmm. that plan. What dollar amount is it going to take you to buy a house that's suitable for you and in the right neighborhood because you want to be think forward thinking? Mm-hmm. Are, is my wife going to feel safe in this house? Are the kids going to, is it a good neighborhood? Are we in a good school system? Are they going to be able to play outside with other, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So before we're thinking, what's it going to cost for you to buy that house? And then what, how much can you put down? And what's the interest rate going to be? And start doing the math and then compare that to, what it, what's it going to cost me to rent a place for a time period and then put a time a time value on that? Am I going to do this for a year, two years, three years? It's very difficult to get very, very far in a one-year period. Mm-hmm. 
with just the cost of housing is just it, it's very sure, high right sure, now. Sure. So do the math. That that's my answer. Okay. I'm 25. I just got my first job job. Okay. Paying me about $55,000 a year. And I have a broke Honda Civic from college that I still drive. But all my all my all my buddies at this company all drive Porsches and everything else like that. I can afford that. I can afford a good payment. Okay, and give Not me a on new car. Fifty-five thousand, you can't. On, yeah, yeah, but it's just me. It's just me, and I'm in an apartment. And I can afford my apartment, and everything else like that. Should I get a new car? Should I just keep the one that I have? My Honda Civic's broke down and everything. What do you, What do you think I should do at that point? Should, should I Should I get something? Because all these other guys are driving this, and they've been here, you know, for maybe a year or two, and uh, I think I could, you know, I could, I could, I need to get some kind of car to make myself feel like I'm. Uh, part of the team here. All right. Well, as I just said, if you're 25 and you're get, already getting stuck in the comparison game, you're in for a long haul. But, but, it's what I hear. It's what I hear. Would you rather have to make a payment to the bank every single month mm. or make a payment to the mechanic when it's needed? My suggestion is that if you're just starting out, you're just getting your first job and you can keep your expenses low, that's going to give you a lot of options. Keep your expenses low. Drive the broke down Honda for as long as you can, as long as it makes sense. And I know it's going to be like a shot in your pride when you see, you know, your buddy showing up on, on whatever other car he has and you wish you had that. The best way to get that is to give yourself the ability to build the, the amount of side resources, cash reserve, those things where when you buy those cars, you're going to be in a good position and you're not going to, you're not going to enslave yourself by driving that car. Final question. I'm 35 years old, and uh, my, my first kid is getting ready for preschool. We don't want them to go to a public school preschool. We've set money aside for them to go to a private, a Christian school or what happened. Or a Montessori you know, or whatever. Yeah, sure. like that, private school. Mm-hmm. All right, so we put the money aside to do that. <clears throat> but now I'm having second thoughts after hearing this podcast. Is it better to take the, the twenty five dollars to $30,000 I have set aside for him in that school, her in that school? And put that into something for their future, for their maybe their college or anything else like that, and let them go to public school? Or do I just go ahead and do what I want with that? What are your thoughts there? I think that's a value equation. Okay. Okay. I, I think you have to, you, again, you, if, if you have a purpose for how you use your money, if the way that your children are educated is a high value to you, then I think that that's important. The best way to show that is to put the the resources and that's either going to be resources might mean you buy a house in a very specific part of town because of the school system, or it might mean that you uh, somewhat sacrifice some other things to make sure that you give your children a leg up on education, because there are a few things that are, that are more important than making sure that your child is safely educated, which is becoming quite an interesting statement in this day and age anyway. But you want to make sure that your your child is in a school where they can learn, where they have an education system that's built on education and not on agenda. Mm-hmm. And that is got to be something that you value. But there are people where that's not necessary. And so you have to do your best with what you have in the school system that you have. And the best way to influence that as a parent is, as you can, volunteer in the classroom so you know what's going on show up at the PTO meetings so you can have a voice in, in how the school system's being ran. You have to be a participant. Otherwise, you're more likely to end up feeling like you or your child's a victim. And don't give your children an unnecessary excuse. Show up, be active, be part of the process. Which is fascinating because that's what we are. And I actually turned down an opportunity for someone to pay for our kids to go to a, to go to a Christian school, believe it or not. Um, and so that was really interesting. Final questions, JB. Uh, I got one. Uh, there's a lot of people during COVID that took out their 401ks, mm-hmm. right? Mm, yeah. A lot of people that just lived off that. 401. Some of them are still living off the 401k. Mm-hmm. What do you What do you say to those people from a financial advice standpoint? On okay, I cashed out my 401k. Probably not the best decision, right? Again, situational, Depending. right? Yeah. Um. But now I'm. Now I'm getting to the point where like I need a job again, but now I've depleted a lot of that 401k. Let's say you still have some left. Okay. Let's say you took out your, your $60,000 of your 401k. Let's say you used all of it for the last three years, but 20 grand, 10 grand, right? 
What does somebody now do that is getting back into the workplace and might still have some of that money left over from that 401k that they cashed out? What's their best practice moving forward? So the, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is what's your cash flow? Because right. if your cash flow can pay for the expenses, then you need to understand how much money you should have in a cash reserve. Again, going back earlier, we talked about this. So if it's a dollar amount or if it's a number of months of your expenses, once you have that cash reserve set aside, right? Once you know your number, your number could be 2000, it could be $6,397, it could be $10,000, whatever your number is. Any dollar above that number needs to be put to work. And that that can be reinvested into something. It can be education. It can be fixing up your house or trying to start saving to buy a house, whatever it is, that money needs to be working. It's just, it's, it's irresponsible cash management for you to just sit on money. And it's significantly irresponsible if you're starting to earn money and you're spending more money than you're bringing in unnecessarily. And there are some situations where people have to get caught up. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you have to make hard decisions and then you, you have to get yourself back into a, a good financial groove. But if everything's in order and you have enough money and you have money left over, try to find a way to put that money back to work. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, we want to thank Dale for being on the podcast today. This is part one of a three part series where we did what to do with your money. The sky is falling. Dale answers money guy, Dale. <laughs> and uh, this has been for the 18 to 35 year olds right now. And Dale, thank you so much for the information and for being here. Yeah. This thanks for been, the invite. This is absolutely great. Dale smoking the uh, Alec Bradley gatekeeper, which actually kind of fell apart him a little bit. I don't know. A little happens. bit. Yeah. Probably in my humidor. That's probably what happened. So probably my Good cigar though. My like personal it. humidor. Yeah. So, <laughs> Not the Dale Cigars one. So guys, thank you guys so much for listening for the uh, Cut Light and Smoke podcast. If they before, want to get, before, Go ahead. I think we're going to the same place. Yeah. If you want to contact Dale or have any other questions for Dale, where can they find you, Dale? Yes, yeah, so you can find me on all the social medias, right? There so we go. at Life Moves Wealth. Um, if you have specific questions, send an email to info at lifemoveswealth.com. And I'd be happy to answer questions there. You can go to lifemoveswealth.com and you can learn a lot about how I uh, how I work with clients, the different things that I do, how I see financial advice, all that information is there, including Shocker, the fees, mm-hmm. because that's oh, the yeah. thing that financial advisors never talk about except yeah, yeah, yeah. at the very end. I put mine right on the website. So right. questions, I'm happy to, to field those and, and help you get your start. Uh, so you will not find him at financebrodale.com. You will, you will find him at, what? where is it again? Life Moves Wealth. LifeMovesWealth.com. So guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. Again, you can find us here next week. We're going to be talking about this again for the guys who are 36 to 55 years old. That's going to be a good one. That's going to be my generation. So Gen Xers, get ready. With that said, guys, we're out of here like last year. Peace. See ya.